we've got a nutritional crisis. I think most of the food that we eat is what I call a mess, a manufactured edible synthetic substance uh-huh. that is packaged for single use with infinite shelf life designed to sit there forever and seduce and smell wonderful and taste incredible and dissolve and get you to buy one bag more. That's educator Stephen Ritz this week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How you doing? What's going on? What's the news? It's Rich Roll here, your host on this little podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As you most likely know at this point, each week I engage the best, most pioneering, paradigm-breaking, and often revolutionary minds and personalities. Today, I've got a huge personality for you guys that span the full spectrum of health, wellness, fitness, medicine, nutrition, spirituality, psychology, athletic performance, inspiration, and excellence. These are not interviews. They are conversations, the purpose of which is to leverage the insights provoked to simply help you live and be better, to help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. So thanks for subscribing to the show on iTunes. Thank you for spreading the word on social media and telling your friends. And thank you for always clicking through the Amazon banner at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. It's a great free way to support the mission. So why don't you go ahead, bookmark the link from the banner ad on my site. Why don't you make it easy? And it's a win-win for all of us. So one of the biggest contributors to our epidemic of childhood obesity and the rising incidence of type 2 diabetes in young people is unhealthy school food, right? Huge problem. I talk about it on the podcast all the time. So I'm so pleased to offer a microphone today to Stephen Ritz, who is an educator and an administrator in the South Bronx, who is working very diligently and very passionately to combat and overcome this problem. He's one of the most inspiring game changers I've ever met. He's an elementary school teacher who is catalyzing generations of young, underprivileged, at-risk students to incredible academic successes while also simultaneously reclaiming and rebuilding his community, the Bronx. So how is he doing this? Well, he's doing it through food, specifically growing food. His Bronx classroom featured the very first indoor edible wall in the entire New York City Department of Education. And that wall routinely generates enough produce to feed healthy meals to 450 students, while also training the youngest nationally certified workforce in America. And now he's growing food both in his classroom, as well as across urban gardens that are peppered throughout the Bronx. And to date, Stephen's extended student and community family have grown more than 30,000 pounds of vegetables that feed his students and his community at large. And these endeavors have moved his students' attendance from 40%, which is really low, right, to 93% daily. That's incredible. He's also helped create 2,200 youth jobs in the Bronx, and now he's building the very first independently financed National Health, Wellness, and Biodiversity Center in a 100-year-old reclaimed school library. This guy's work has been featured everywhere, everything from Forbes to The Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, ABC, CNN, NBC, NPR, He was recently named a 2015 top 10 finalist for the prestigious Global Teacher Prize. And in 2014, he and his fourth and fifth grade students were invited to and feted by none other than the White House. His accomplishments and his accolades are many, 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 too many to list. I first came across his message by way of his incredibly inspiring TEDx Manhattan talk, 
which is ranked in the top 25 food and education TED Talks of all time. And it's used for teacher training and workforce development globally, which is amazing. I'll embed this talk, as well as a second TED Talk that he did, and a recent very cool short documentary on his work that premiered on Upworthy. Um, it's a very cool piece. I'll put all of that on the episode page at richroll.com. And also, and quite impressively, Stephen recently lost more than 100 pounds. So how did he do this? Well, he did it by modeling positive behavior and simply eating what he and his students throw in school. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. 
And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. All right, you guys, Stephen Ritz. This guy is the teacher you wish you had, the teacher every kid deserves. A true paradigm breaker. This is a guy who sets the pace for future generations of teachers to come. So get ready, because this guy's got enough energy to power a city. So I guess that's why they call him the Green Bronx Machine. Enjoy. Yeah, from watching all the interviews and everything like that and the TED Talks, you, uh, you're looking trim. How much, how much weight did you lose? You lost, you lost like 100 pounds, yeah? Yeah, a little over 100 pounds. That's amazing. Yep. But now I have two new friends, Zeus and Apollo, but I want to uh-huh. meet, I want to work on them. Yeah, yeah. How's the, uh, so how did you do it? Basically, it got smart. Smaller portions. Less soda for sure. Uh-huh. Um, less soda for sure. That was a killer. But literally, just reducing the size of my portions, less salt less sugar, uh-huh. um, and knowing when to say when. The first thing I did is I got rid of that big bagel in the morning because uh-huh. the bagel in the morning was the killer with the huge coffee. Um, when I learned that a bagel is like six or seven slices of bread and I'm having that at six o'clock in the morning with a 24-ounce coffee, six ounces of which is probably sugar, uh-huh. I went to a real small coffee, got rid of the bagel, <laughs> went with protein, um, and that was it. I dropped like 20 pounds in the first two weeks. People told me I looked good, and the uh-huh. rest I was off to the races. Yeah, well, you do look amazing, so congrats on that. Well, thank you kindly. And I'm so sorry that uh, I missed this wonderful event yesterday. I'm kicking myself, and I'm bummed, so I want to hear what went down. Well, yesterday I was just honored to host the former White House chef, Bill Yassis, up mm-hmm. at our school. Bill and I are working on a series of science STEM education programs Um, because I grow food all year um, indoors, and Bill loves to cook, but he also loves the science of cooking, the STEM, the technology, all the vocabulary around food, the crystallization of food, you know, the emulsification, you know, the different densities Uh of oils and stuff. So we are going to partner together to build a very robust program endorsed by the New York City Department of Education. Wow. And to think that I am in a community that has limited means and limited access to healthy, fresh food, and that we are going to be growing it, 
365 days a year in the middle of the housing projects is kind of exciting. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. So let's let's get into that. I mean, I think a good place to start is to I mean, there's people that listen to this from all over the world. Uh, Most people are familiar with the Bronx, the South Bronx. But why don't you uh, indulge us by just painting a picture of what this community is all about? Well, first of all, I love my community. So there is no place like home and there is no place like the South Bronx. But I believe that the borough that gave birth to baggy pants and funky fresh beets can now be home to organically grown red ones. And now you're we, just crazy talking. No, I'm not crazy talking. <laughs> um, you know, we are. We have slowly but surely become the home of local agriculture, local urban agriculture. Mm-hmm. And um, why not? We are a community with limited means and limited access to healthy, fresh fruit. So the fact that we can grow it ourselves and grow it with 90% less water indoors all year round, and for me, most importantly, aligned to outstanding academic performance, is what it's all about. But classroom by classroom, block by block, mm-hmm. school by school, we are changing the landscape and the mindset of the South Bronx. And, and you- I like to say the Bronx can <laughs> change attitudes yes. now. And you are. You are a shining, bright uh, example of that. And, and we're going to get into all the amazing work that you're doing. But uh, let's, let's, let's like have a little sort of statistics class on, like, step it back to when, before all of this began. Okay, so statistically, um, the, Bron- the South Bronx is the poorest congressional district mm-hmm. in America. We have some of the highest rates of single-parent homes, some of the highest right. rates of homeless children. Um, You know, Bronx County is the 62nd rated county of all 62 in New York State for health outcomes and income. So there are some real health and wealth disparities in my borough. Right. And at the time, uh, prior to all of the things that you've been doing, I think uh, attendance rates were something like 43%. And well, oh, okay. So, my kids, sure, sure. So, for like kids and, and kind of like, you know, what it's like to you know, live below the poverty line and be faced with, you know, sort of this nutritional desert, you know, scenario where it's just bodegas, you know, pushing fast food and cigarettes and malt liquor, essentially. You are 100 percent right. I mean, there are a lot of wonderful shopkeepers in the Bronx, so I don't want to disparage anyone. But I think if a visitor from another planet came to the South Bronx, they would think that like McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts are the chief, you know, places of congregation and social interface for the community. People are there for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. They're open 24 hours. We have weddings in McDonald's, for God's sake. <laughs> Is I that mean, right, really? They, they, they practically stalk <laughs> us. You know, if you look at the highest densities of where kids go to school, there's usually a McDonald's, you know, within walking distance, right. on the way, with happy smiles and happy meals, but, you know... And cheap. We, and cheap, but cheap food is so damn expensive. Mm-hmm. And eating across the rainbow is not a bag of Skittles, damn it. It mm-hmm. is healthy, fresh food, and my kids need it. 75% of the kids who I say see labeled learning disabled would not be if their parents had access to good prenatal nutrition. Right, and to prenatal. think that's in the Bronx, to think that's America, is crazy. Um, in some of my classes, eight out of ten kids know someone with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Awful. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. That's crazy. I mean, numbers. I have two hundred pound sixth graders. <clears throat> we have a championship basketball team, but most of them don't look like athletes. They look more like the ball than the athlete. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're very talented, but we've got a nutritional crisis. I think most of the food that we eat is what I call a mess 
a manufactured edible synthetic substance uh-huh. that is packaged for single use with infinite shelf life, designed to sit there forever and seduce and smell wonderful and taste incredible and dissolve and get you to buy one bag more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Franken foods that are highly, highly addictive. Yeah, that's a, I've never heard that term. <clears throat> no, Franken, you haven't? Yeah, I that's like a, mess. I'm going to take that. Yeah, okay. And I'll steal Franken foods. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's definitely Franken food in the South Bronx. And, and how did you end up there? You were playing basketball in Europe, yeah? Well, I'm from the Bronx, so I am a Bronx native, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was playing basketball. Well, you did your homework. I did play basketball in Europe, got hurt, and before I left, took a test to become a teacher. Um, And in the 80s, there was a tremendous exodus of teaching and a tremendous educational crisis in New York City, particularly in in the Bronx Mm -hmm. and in certain communities. So lo and behold, I passed the test. um, And when I came back, I came back in a cast and I wound up taking a job. You got got injured playing basketball? Yeah, I blew out something and, you know, it just, I needed to come home. And um, I wound up taking a job at South Bronx High School in 1983. I think it was the only standing building in like an Mm. eight block radius. Hip hop was taking off, crack was everywhere. Um, And at that point, the Bronx was burnt. It was toast. Make no doubt about it. I mean, it was just awful. Um, but I kind of believed in kids and found my niche <clears throat> teaching. And uh, for, well, for a long time, I was still playing ball. I was the best athlete in the school. I won the slam yeah. dunk championship, at, you know, even as a teacher back then. And then but, did you um, go off and play college ball? Or no, this is after I played college. This oh, was after, after I played wow. college. Uh-huh. Um, but I got the bug for teaching. Um, but the Bronx was just really a tough place to be. Then yeah. and um, I left. I wound up going out to Arizona for a while and got a scholarship to go on for my master's at ASU, where I pursued a master's in special ed. Started teaching there and came back home and have not looked back since. Had some right. stints in the restaurant business um, and some other stuff in service industries, but really my love is teaching, and I haven't looked back. And then a few years ago, I found out about gardening because yeah, you know yeah, I'm yeah. not a farmer. I mean, you've done your homework, so you know. <laughs> You're I'm a even, farmer of humans. Yes, I'm a people farmer. A people I like farmer. To say. The kids exactly. are my seeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when you first began, uh, did you have this revolutionary spark or, you know, were you, did you become frustrated with the daily grind of it? Or where did the birth of this idea of really trying to transform the community, like where did that arise from? I guess it's that Pee Wee Herman line, I'm a rebel. I mean, I've always been kind of that rebel insurgent teacher from day one. So in the age of hip hop, I was really into the power of pen. And even though back then I was a tremendous athlete, I was more into the power of words than I was into, you know, the power of being an athlete because I knew there was always another better athlete out Mm -hmm. there. Um, You know, there was always someone stronger, faster. But I really felt that if we gave kids a voice, particularly a voice in the South Bronx that was a unified voice and a positive voice that they could grow something greater. I started an academic Olympic team. I had a bunch of math champions. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really doing nutty stuff with the most marginalized kids because I felt if we can move those who are apart from to becoming a part of Together, we can all prosper. And we literally grew something greater way before we were ever growing plants in the South Bronx. Yeah, and, and the, 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 the growing plants in the classroom 
occurred almost accidentally. It yeah, wasn't 20 like years later, literally 20 plan. years later. Right. I had a lot of incarnations in between. I mean, I had a Special, Olympic, Special Olympics athletic team. We were the first team to compete in the Five Borough Bike Tour. Oh, wow. Um, I, at one point, I was that nutty teacher when we had um, tokens that had kids creating algorithms to use one token to go into the subway and never come out and hit every single stop and, you know, closed loop systems. Uh-huh. Uh, we won science fairs. We won writing competitions. We took on big projects. We had graffiti contests. We had poetry contests. Anything and everything that brought the classroom into the community mm-hmm. and the community into the classroom that had a positive kind of multiplier effect, concentric circles. Right. This was way before food. I mean, way before I even right, knew. Right, 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 right. And one of the things that, that, that you said, I can't remember where I read it, but I thought it was really um, kind of illustrative of, of where you're coming from in your style is this idea. You said something like, I'm not interested in incremental change. I'm interested in transformative change or exponential change. Oh, absolutely. Change, right? I so am it's the not, idea yeah. of like just trying to, kind of, well, yeah, we're in a difficult situation up here, but let's try to make it 10% better. No, you're I don't not, want to push the needle. I want to flip the script. Right. I believe that my kids, you know, that the Bronx, we are poised, ready, willing, and able to export our talent <laughs> diversity. We are ready. The vast market of human capital there is insane. But Hell, you, we brought the world hip hop. But you're like a one-man cyclone. So how is this working, you know, within a, within a system that probably has a certain way that it likes to do things and, and maybe isn't so interested in, in somebody coming in and ruffling a bunch well, of Well, I've others. skinned my knees and had a few bloody noses <laughs> yeah. along the way. I'm not going to say... I haven't, but I've also built up a lot of momentum, and I'm not the only one. There are a lot of heroes, so Mm -hmm. I am one of many. And I think the more people like you acknowledge people like me, the more we can create a whole systemic change. Because for far too long, this system has really perpetuated the status quo. Yeah. And, you know, neither jail nor retail is a living wage in the South Bronx. So we've got to flip that script. We've got to move kids into spheres of success they've never imagined. Yeah. And we've got to move them from being consumers to producers, writing their own story, telling their own story. And that's what you've done. And and that's what makes your story so profound, because you've done it in under the most difficult circumstances. And when you kind of canvas, you know, across America, across the United States, and you look at kind of the systemic problems in, in public education, even private education, you know, with school lunches and, and all kinds of, you know, issues that that sort of plague and affect schools across the country, um, you know, in affluent suburban communities, they're having difficulty making even incremental change. And, and under these, you know, extraordinary circumstances, you've been able to kind of, you know, 10x the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, everybody's challenged these days, you know, particularly around health, particularly around nutrition. You know, you have kids who are so disconnected. Mm-hmm. From things, from people, from places, you know, even wealthy kids who are getting tons of money and just eating themselves to death or interneting themselves to death um, to my kids who are also, you know, nickel and diming them to sell themselves to death. But we've really got to look at certain realities. The reality is this is the first generation of children that are not going to outlive their parents largely because of what they're eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at kids going through puberty in elementary school now. That didn't happen, you know, 30 years ago. It's got to be the food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm looking at what a portion is, and I come from a family where food is love, but when you look at what portions of cheap food are today compared to what they were 20 or 30 years ago, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, make that spoon a little smaller, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. less rice, and a whole lot more love, please. 
All right, so so 20 years into your teaching career, and you happen to leave uh, some daffodil bulbs uh, on the heater one day, right? Uh, crazy <laughs> and, daffodil story. And, yeah. uh, and, and a whole movement is born. So walk me through how this transpired. Well, it wasn't, I mean, there's a lot of tragedy. So, um, you know, there was some tragedy in my life. For years, I've been doing middle school crisis intervention, real mm-hmm. troubled kids in middle schools. Um, we had a tragedy in my family, and I wound up moving closer to where I was living and taking a job very close to the immediate high school in my community. Um, little did I know, the immediate high school in my community had a 17% graduation rate, mm-hmm. um, you know, had 48 security agents 18 armed police officers and over wow. 200 felonies a year. Um, like the metal on. detectors? Yeah, beyond the metal detectors. The they thing. were macing kids in school on a daily basis. You know, wow. they were bringing kids out in handcuffs. I mean, it was, it was a classically failing school. Add to that kids coming out of jail and being put into this school and, and some assertion that schools were being targeted for certain kids to kind of make them explode and implode, if you will. There were some real problems. But the beauty of my situation is after all those years in middle school, bulk of those kids, I knew, you know, years later. And I was happy to see them, and they were happy to see me. So I went from being um, a teacher to a dean to a lead dean, mm. um, literally in a matter of months, and was able to affect some change and was blessed to come across 17 kids, um, a bulk of whom came with a variety of baggage from special needs to special accommodations to special housing to previous other housing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But they believed in me and they knew I believed in them and I had a certain amount of street credibility with them and they knew that my job was to love them until they learned to love themselves. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, someone did send us a box of these crazy daffodil bulbs. I didn't know what the hell they were. They looked like garlic, but to me they were really projectiles, and I was mortified that they were going to be going at each other. So I just hid them one day behind the, you know, got this box and hid it behind this huge radiator and kind of forgot about it. One day there was a fight in class, and a kid went behind the radiator to look for a weapon, and there were hundreds of flowers coming out of this box, oh, beautiful, wow. bright yellow flowers and it was like an aha moment and all the boys wanted to give them to the girls for sex and the girls wanted to give them to the parents and people thought we could sell them and do this and it kind of diffused this insanely kind of um really crazed moment in class you know the beauty of a flower so it was like this light bulb right and also yeah it was like a light bulb moment i was also constantly being asked by kids who were going back and forth to probation why plants were growing out of the side of the buildings Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, nature happens. Um, seeds, if they take root, will, you know, will germinate and will grow. And mm-hmm. that was what this was about. So that year, lo and behold, I planted 25,000 daffodils, bulbs, across New York City with gang kids. Wow. Um, and the, the program was to take kids and go into neighborhoods that they would never want to go into to do something greater. Um, and to kind of create this beauty. And the kids loved it. They loved seeing the daffodils sprout. They loved getting out there. They loved getting dirty. And at that time, there were still so many abandoned lots that we specialized in taking kind of unproductive, ugly places and turning them into aspirational, mm-hmm. inspirational, productive places where people wanted to aggregate and kind of came together. And it was great. That's cool. So the city, the city is permissive when you are they? Do you have to jump through a bunch of hoops in order uh, to like access mean, all those lots and Asking for permission is begging for denial. So you just, so, do, you you just know, go do it. And go do it and give everybody else credit and <laughs> yeah. say thank you and credit the one you know is going to be your biggest. I can't let my secret out. But right. Asking for permission is begging for denial. It's a different city now too <laughs> yeah. than it was then. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah This yeah. was before Bloomberg. Uh-huh. Uh, 
So there was a lot going on. And now, you know, listen, the Bronx is a totally new place. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say we don't have our issues. Of course we do. But back then, there were so many places. And people wanted us, which was also great. People were like, hey, Steve, we've got, we've got a place for you. Right. And it was great for my kids to be a part of. And quite frankly, there were a lot of teachers there who have since moved on who were thrilled to see my kids not in their classes and spending time with me. Mm-hmm. But my job was to love them. Until they learned to love themselves. And I went the distance. I had my daughter with me. So my daughter grew up with them. And they saw what parenting looked like and what love looked like and what concern and commitment looked like. And lo and behold, all those 17 kids went on to graduate. A bulk went on to work with Majora Carter at Sustainable right. South Bronx. I just, and met, a movement. I just met a Majora last week. Majora is what? Yay, yeah, yeah. Majora. Yes. We both spoke at this event, and I got to hear her give a, give a talk. It was, it was very inspirational. Right. So. We put in the first cool. green roof. It was her vision and my kids, and that uh-huh. was awesome. And that's about, you know, that's about as locally grown as locally can can happen. Right. And these kids are, I mean, the typical kid, I mean, they're coming from single parent families, perhaps occasionally homeless, even in certain situations or in shelters. For sure. um, Living in the projects, et cetera. I mean, what are, you know, learning disabled? I mean, what are some of the kind of conditions that you're having to, you know, navigate with, with sort of the typical... I mean, the amount of violence in my community is insane. The amount of environmental constraints in Mm -hmm. my community are insane. So when you look, I always wonder how many kids really are labeled, who are labeled learning disabled, really are just responding to life crises, you know, shelters, homelessness, alcohol. I mean, you know, drugs, that kind of stuff. And the fact that a lot of parents themselves don't have, you know, a high school education, much, mm-hmm. much less college. Um, so there are a lot of things at root in our society. It's not a part of anybody's culture to sit on a corner and drink wine and go to jail. But sadly, statistically, it tends to happen more in communities like mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm out to change that. Yeah. And what, what is the gang culture like? I mean, back then, I suppose. And then, oh, back you know, then what it was it like awful. I mean, back then, drugs were just everywhere. You know, I mean, now the drug problem is still very much a problem. It hasn't gone away, so don't think we've solved it because we haven't, America. Own up to it. But it's kind of gone behind closed doors. Um, Cell phones and technology and and also real estate values have changed that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, one only needs to walk into certain neighborhoods and say that, hmm, something isn't right. But, you know, the open-air drug supermarkets of the 90s and the millennium are long since gone, and thank God. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, that's a different problem, too, because it's behind closed doors, and now it's prescription drugs. Yeah, or it also becomes harder to kind of know what's going on, I suppose, right? But also the proliferation since then of fast food. I mean, I'm seeing kids expand on a, on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. You know, cheap food is now everywhere. And, um, you know, franchise food, fast food, bulletproof right. restaurants, it's everywhere. So you're combating uh, simultaneously sort of starvation because they're nutritionally deficient and yet obesity. Exactly. At the same you know, time. I mean, my big thing is, you know, if an America's listening, you know, we've got to address this. Civilized nations feed people. And we still want to believe in the food drive, in the, in the canned food drive, like, like, kind of like the bucket brigade. Oh, mm-hmm. let's put out the fire one bucket at a time. We can grow food. We can change lives. We just have to commit to do that. And civilized nations feed their children. Civilized nations educate their children. We've got to stop this, you know, cradle to prison pipeline. Yeah. It's not work. I mean, it works for some people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. some people want to see it keep happening. But we've got to change that. 
And that's my job, to so, flip the script. So you go and you plant these daffodils and these flowers in these vacant lots, and, and you're giving these, these kids a very tactile experience of, of seeing, you know, this process from, you know, seed, literally, to, you know, to, to flowering. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and giving them, you know, kind of an outlet outside to, uh, you know, to, to have a different kind of experience, right? And so... I take, you know, I would assume that, that the result of that is that you're seeing a change in these kids. By, Absolutely. By, I mean, you're, 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 I mean you're, you're like this hyperkinetic guy, right? Like, so, and these kids are starving for somebody to emotionally invest in them, right? And so here you are saying, okay, I'm here. Let's do this. And, yeah, my job, I mean, kids yeah, are you hit the nail on the head. It's an emotional thing. My job is to love children and people until they learn to love themselves. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. Yes, I'm an educator. You can give me a million and one titles. But my job is to love people until they learn to love themselves and to be the power of example. Mm-hmm. And so you, so you have these, uh, these vacant lots and you're growing flowers and then you're like, oh, well, here's something. What can I do next? Now? Well, it got right? interesting. I mean, how does it go? Because from there? these kids are really a great labor force, and we are in communities where people needed labor, mm-hmm. um, and were willing to pay for it. Whether it was demolition work, or yard work, or landscaping work, you know, tree pruning. And I, who knew you could make fifty thousand dollars a year being a tree pruner? Who knew? You know, Mayor Bloomberg was talking about all these parks that we were going to have, and every person should be five minutes from a park. Well, someone needs to take care of them, and why? not my kids Mm -hmm. so we started looking at that we started looking at golf course maintenance and all the our proximity to westchester new jersey and long island was really beneficial to my kids who were willing to work and go to work daily and kind of put down the tools of their past trade and embrace tools of a new one so Mm -hmm. to speak because they were going to get paid and get paid living wage a lot of these and son businesses need labor right um and kids feel good the nice thing about outdoor gardening for better for us you show up it's very reinforcing. You show up and the lot looks like crap. 20 minutes later, you see the progress of your work. And that builds a sense of self-esteem, a sense right. of accomplishment. That, yes, I did that. I took something ugly and I made it beautiful. You take it a step further, you put a seed in the ground, you come back a week later and say, wow, I'm somehow responsible for that. So there was short-term benefit, mid-term benefit, and long-term benefit mm-hmm. that kept kids coming back. And all along, no matter where we go, people were very polite. They were very welcoming to us. They mm-hmm. wanted us there. We were doing something great. So it wasn't adversarial. We went to places we never expected to be and were embraced with open arms. Right. And left flowers. How cool right. is that? <laughs> and left flowers. And giving these kids a trade where they can go out and, and make money, earn a living wage, and, and be employed. Right. The Stand big myth, exactly. Feet. Because the big myth is like these kids um, need hard skills. I say the soft skills are really the hard skills. Kids understand technology. They understand tools. Listen, kids farm better than me. They use the internet better than me. They do everything better than me. I just get all the credit. It's a great system. But what these kids need practice is in showing up, managing their money, talking to people, Mm -hmm. um, not taking your paycheck and going out and buying a tattoo and a new set of gold teeth, you know, that kind of showing up at a job and not trying to pick up the the, the homeowner's wife, those kinds of things, you know, putting your swag to the side. Those are the real hard skills. (laughs) And that, and that, those don't show up on the standardized test, right, and that's don't. not part of the curriculum. Right. right, but it can be, and my kind of, I guess my, listen, I could cure cancer, I could cure AIDS, I could roll back the tsunami, and I work in assistance. That's great, Steve. What about test scores and attendance? So when you figure out how to get test scores and attendance by getting kids to show up and grow up, it's awesome. And the cool thing about plants and nature is that it really responds. We're part of a bigger living ecosystem, mm-hmm. and kids get that. 
Um, you know, I always say I like to see kids pollinating plants instead of each other. But when they learn about pollinating plants, <laughs> they wind up passing the standardized tests. Um, you know, those science regions. I'm not claiming I've produced Nobel scientists, so please, I'm not. But I am saying it is possible to teach to the test by doing stuff that's fun. Right. So the kids get that experience. You know, nothing is more thrilling for a kid to pass a standardized test if they never thought they could by learning about life and yeah. having fun in the process. And that's the amazing thing because basically by implementing these programs, and we're going to get into more of how that evolved, but you were able to take you know, a population of kids that, that literally weren't showing up for school half the time and, and raise attendance rates up to 90, like 93%. 93%. Right? We went from 40% to <clears throat> 93% with targeted kids. Right. With targeted kids. And, it, and it's, a, um, it's kind of a leap of faith, I think, if you're looking at this through the lens of conventional wisdom that growing plants either in the classroom or on these lots has any connection to academic performance in the classroom. And yet this is, it's, it's undeniable that that's what's transpiring here. And that's your experience. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, it's the thing about plants see is that they're living, breathing things and kids don't realize that, but you can't make them fight and they don't speak back. So like, you know, in my neighborhood, everyone has a dog. They're either really cute and adorable and two pounds, or they're the biggest dog with the <laughs> biggest teeth in the world. There's no middle ground. But uh-huh. plants, they need you. Actually, they really don't. But don't tell the kids that, because right. I've been lying um, for a long time. But as long as you give them water and love, they're going to grow. And kids need to see that. You can't put plants to fight. Um, you can't have them attack each other. But as a good educator, I can invent all these scenarios that happen to plants. That I, I can't kill Fluffy the rabbit, but if the kids come to class and they fart too much or they listen to too much Little Wayne, I say, put Little Wayne on. I can go mm-hmm. when the kids leave and, you know, I'll kill the plant. I'll pour bleach on the plant. Mm-hmm. You see, that music is toxic. Look, I can't do that to the dog. I right. can't ethically do that to fish. But to plants, I can. So you create all this kind of dialogue around what you're doing. And if you're a smart teacher, you realize that this is, there is a... There's a lens, if you will, a point of entry that ties to common core, that ties to content area, that ties to subject matter that can be related to in a test. And if you make it fun, kids don't get up to fail, and no one rises to low expectations, damn it. Now that I'm thinking about it, you know, people rise to high expectations. Mm-hmm. So I've got to set them for them, and that's what I do. But mm-hmm. we can have a lot of fun and grow a lot of vegetables and flowers along the way. Right, right. And it's it- cheaper than therapy, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wish you were my therapist. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, you get a lot. Of, you get a lot of fruit and vegetables with me, right? So, at what, at what point do you start bringing this into the classroom and and start creating kind of more structured, I guess, for lack of a better word, curriculum around okay. it? Cool question. So it was a lot of fun doing stuff outdoors. Um, except I really don't like being outdoors. Mm. You know, to me, the world would be better if it was all dark and indoors, like a club or a good restaurant. That's how, I would, or the gym. Um, and the problem is that you're limited by seasonality. Plus, you know, try getting on the plane with, you know, 20 big black kids and a bunch of pitchforks in the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God for my wife and, you know, the police verification. Yeah, what are you farming for? Um, so I wanted kids in school. I didn't want them just with me. I wanted them in school. So I, when I learned about vertical farming and indoor farming, I was like, wow, I could take all of that not have water fights, not have hose fights, not need a bunch of tools and put Mm -hmm. it in a classroom Mm -hmm. and then link it to jobs and employment and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And guess where the kids were? In school. Mm -hmm. And it also held my colleagues accountable because they had to treat those kids differently because they couldn't just behave for me or not behave for me. So it gave everybody more, like I like to say, more bats at the plate, more steps to the plate. 
And that's what kids need. They need more at-bats. Was that, was that difficult to kind of pitch that idea to the administration because it's sort of out of the box? I didn't pitch it. I just did it. You just started doing it. Don't ask for permission. Mm-hmm. I just started doing right. it. I mean, now I've learned a lot since. And, you know, my program got huge, and I probably clipped my own wings a little bit, and I understand that um, in the process. But, you know, it's been a learning curve, and I'm willing to share that. You know, my experience mm-hmm. should be everyone's experience. And, you know, I hope people learn from me. My, my job is to blaze the way for others. Mm-hmm. But there are tons of Herculean teachers out there. So take that big leap, you know. Mm-hmm. Do something bold. Do something great. Now, the thing is, don't forget the mandate of your day job. Because there are a lot of teachers that want to get out there and change the world, and I'm one of them. But remember what you're paid for, and remember what your principal's going to evaluate you for, because that'll help you have longer legs. And, the, and, and they're evaluating you based on standardized test results? Well, sometimes standardized tests, like but that, you know, or... listen, you've got to be true to your day job. Autonomy is not the freedom for me to do whatever the mm-hmm. hell I want on someone else's time with someone else's money. Right. Autonomy is my responsibility to get the job done for what I'm paid for the most efficacious way possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm somewhat of a rebel, but you know, I'm also, yeah. I like to play by rules. But asking for permission is begging for denial. So get in there, build what you got to do. But do it within the mandate of your day job. Make it fun. Make it sexy. Make it creative. Right. And that's why I love project-based learning. But, you know, I was just a little bit ahead of my time because now project-based learning is all the rage. Right. I mean, project-based learning, I mean, basically define that for people that might not be familiar exactly with what you're talking about. So project-based learning involves, well, it involves a lot less of what I'm doing, which is way too much talking. But that's what we're here to Mm -hmm. do today. It involves the kids doing. Um, It involves cooperation collaboration, problem solving, not me teaching you facts, but me teaching you and working you through a process so you can substantiate your opinions with facts and you can get information. You know, the reality is we're preparing kids for a future we know very little about. But if they don't know how to cooperate, if they don't know how to collaborate, if they don't know how to communicate, all of it is not. Mm -hmm. Um, But my kids, they're hacking their way into their future. So problem solving is just that, looking at the problem, understanding what the issues are, and then looking at an end goal, and how do you get there? Right. This idea of providing an experience that they're innately already interested in, and then using that as a foundation or a template to teach all sorts of other things that are related to the in-classroom stuff that you know we all need to learn or whatever to pass these tests. Uh, but they're engaged. That's the difference, right? It's not it's you talking down to them. It. It's them participating in something that they're into, you that they the want to show word. up for, right? There's one word to all of this engagement. You've got to meet kids where they're at and continually move them to the zone of proximal development. So what does that mean? It means I got to do some assessment. I hate to say it, but you know, what's the next step? How can I get you rich roll in 20 minutes to the Mm -hmm. next step of proximal development academically, socially, emotionally, and physically? And that's what it's about. It's about a continuous cycle of of self-assessment. You know, I call it very recursive. I mean, I'm very metacognitive, but I'm also very detail-oriented. You know, um, I'm not right. I'm not right. So if my wife, if you're listening, you're right. I'm not Uh right, but I'm committed to getting it right. And the kids know that. So I'm not there to talk at them. I'm here to learn with them. Right. I think the key key seems to be to um, have a kid who is curious, interested, and like you said, engaged. And, And the job, at least like, you know, I'm a, I've got four kids and, you know, it's like, how can, on some level, I feel like they're either curious or they're not, you know, I can't, I can't instill curiosity in them. But when I find something that they're interested in, 
then you gravitate towards that and you support that and you fan that flame. Absolutely. And through that, you can do all kinds of different through things. Through that, anything is possible. As opposed to trying to you know, jam a square peg into a round hole and get them interested in something they're just not interested in. You know, in this crazy data-driven society and all the metrics about tests and data, there's one fact that remains true. The biggest prognosticator to a child's success is having one kind, caring adult accessible in their life. And that's my role, to be that mm-hmm. kind, caring, accessible adult. I mean, I bring my A-game daily. I come to class prepared, but I come to be that kind, caring. I'm the conductor of an orchestra I can't play an instrument of. The kids are better farmers than me. They're better scientists than me. They're better on the internet than me. They do all the work. I get all the credit. It's a wonderful system. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so you're growing food in the classroom, and you start to grow these. No, these it wasn't walls, even food. Right? It wasn't food. It was still it was all pi- ornamental. Oh, it was still I see. ornamental. Right. So know, when do we, we get like to flowers. the food? How do we get to the food part? Well, we didn't even know what the hell food was. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, food was you know a two liter soda and a bag of salt and vinegar chips and some flaming Cheetos in the morning with a burrito. You know, I mean, I was eating four or five quarter pounders a day. Mm-hmm. Understand? It was crazy. I love the fact that this is as much a learning experience for you as it is for the kids. You've taken this journey with them, and you've transformed yourself as well as the kids and the community in the process. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what it's about. It's not do as I say, uh-huh. you know. It's do as I do. Do as we do. We're all in this together, you know. Um, and that's it. Together we can all prosper, you know. Each one, teach one. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know too much about vegetables. What was interesting is my first foray into vegetables, quite frankly, was we had read this small story about Doctors Without Borders and how kids in Jalisco, Mexico were going blind simply because they had vitamin deficiencies. And these vitamins, literally, if kids were growing leafy greens, that they would um, be able to not go blind or not need all this surgery. So my kids just wanted to provide them these grow boxes for Mm. leafy greens. Mm. And then we found out leafy greens are something that like most of my African-American kids like to eat or the grandparents like to eat, collard greens. Mm -hmm. So we started growing collard greens and we started growing what we call the hood vegetables, you know, the stuff you get through the bulletproof window. green peppers, you know, kind of like the stuff that has a longer shelf life. We didn't know much about it, and it was cool. The flip side is a lot of my kids were also getting their second or third meal a day in soup kitchens, Mm -hmm. so they also knew something about nutrition elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until we went to Whole Foods and really learned about what was out there, you know, and then all the white people buying that stuff, right. which was crazy. We had no idea. You, <laughs> you know, do God, like a field trip to Whole Foods? We, yeah. We, we went, we, I remember my first field trip to Whole Foods. I couldn't believe it. I was just adding up all the miles on the vegetables. Mm-hmm. They all should have gotten free flights somewhere. And there they were, just waiting to be eaten by all these wealthy white people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the kids... We, we saw our green peppers for $1.99 a pound, and we saw red peppers and orange peppers, and it was very poignant. The kids said, man, you know, food is like people. It comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. But, you know, I had some real entrepreneurs um, of very interesting sorts who said, yo, check out the white people. They're buying red peppers and orange peppers and, you know, and yellow peppers for $6.99 a pound instead of the green <laughs> ones for $1.99. The kids said, Ritz, you screwed us. And they actually used more graphic language uh-huh. than that. They said, what did I do? And they said, you should have had us growing the good Shiznit, you know, and uh-huh. there we were. We started growing the good stuff. Um, and Whole Foods was very kind. They started letting us sell it to them. Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, and we started learning about this whole, you know, the whole mm-hmm. local vora movement, local food movement, food movement took off. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we started learning, and it was cool. I mean, I learned about arugula. Man, mm -hmm. I love arugula. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't know. Most of everything was like, you know, lettuce that came on a quarter pounder with cheese. And you're growing this in the classroom in, like, boxes? So or we started or growing. I started with basically sub-irrigated planting containers in classrooms. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to vertical walls. And, you know, and I learned that I could grow vertically. Like, you're talking to the oldest sixth grader in the world. And I just thought, wow, this was cool. And the thought of taking like a half an acre and condensing it into my classroom with some grow lights was just the coolest thing in the world. I didn't know how much work it was going to be, but I was determined to do it. But the mm -hmm. kids loved it. It was like green graffiti. We were putting logos on walls. We were doing all kinds of stuff. That's what's so cool. I've seen a bunch of the walls that you guys have done, and they're art pieces. Yeah, you know, They absolutely. are like, you know, living works of art they are living they're beautiful art. yeah exactly. and, it, and it really is like this sort of urban growing graffiti it's really cool stuff it is cool stuff exactly but you know five six years later you know i realized that i can't ask every teacher to do that so now i'm really focused on replicable scalable technology right. and things that so that's been my you know, and also things that are far more cost effective mm -hmm. um you know and, and just easier to use in a classroom i'm into scale now i'm into scale replication and you know an easier application i'm also working with little kids now because one of the things that i learned is you know i had kids who are 18 19 20 years old uh with children of their own who were reading on second and third grade reading level and just mm -hmm. they were really little kids and you know they have so much to unpack but when i learned about little kids that was the game changer you know it is easier to raise healthy children than mm -hmm. fix broken men and the little kids they're just adorable it's easier to build good habits around you know planting lima beans and fun stuff in classrooms mm -hmm. and hopefully i won't have to have so many bigger problems at a later stage so i'm still very much into the older kids don't get me wrong and that's where my first love is and will always be right but if right. i can problem solve this <laughs> at a younger age and get these kids eating healthy and growing healthy and most importantly learning healthy you know, and performing well in school oh, at a young their age. Whole life. It You're changes. Setting them it, up for yeah, I'm setting them up for success. Life. You know, yeah. whereas I'm thrilled to have gotten, you know, been part and parcel to 2,200 local jobs. My, nothing will thrill me more than to send a cohort of kids to the Bronx High School of Science because mm -hmm. that will be a far greater mm -hmm. game change for their generation and all their children as yeah, well. Yeah, the ripple effect. Right, is, the ripple, the multiplier effect. Yeah. yeah, it just will transform the community. And I want to get into the scalable stuff, but but still, I'm 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 trying to understand how this whole thing sorts you know begins to blossom. So you're growing food, and then this starts to expand, right? You're, you have tower gardens, and at some point, um, the food finds its way into the cafeteria of the school. Oh, so, so we started growing. Start to eat yeah, we started growing, growing so much food in school. So I started to to your point, you know. Asking for permission is begging for denial. But I started looking at some of the programs that were existing in the DOE. Um, Department of Ed, for those who don't mm -hmm. know. And they had this great program called School Garden to School Cafe. You know, where they'd come and you'd build a garden, and you know, and you'd get food and put it into the cafeteria. So I just decided I was going to have the best school garden to school cafe program ever. Uh, and I might as well do it year round. And, you know, they had the program, so I gave them the credit. I had the kids and the resources to do it. And so we did it. We gave them credit. And it was a beautiful thing. And the kids loved eating it. But then I aligned it to like research because like the kids really like the crunch factor. So we started like researching Department of Ed menu options and literally the kids thought they were like picking their menu. But no, they were aggregating data. They were doing the science. They were doing the kind of stuff that they needed to do that they would see six months later on the test, just not realizing it. And they, oh, mm -hmm. I did that for Ritz when we were talking. You know, they were, they were talking. They were looking at it. But they also started loving eating it. Um, 
And then along the way, you know, my kids became activists because we realized about how many people don't have food and some of the larger issues in the world. And to think, you know, I'm so proud of my kids and I want to shout them out. You know, that first cohort of kids that raised money for the, the tsunami victims and in Haiti, you know, when my kids from the poorest congressional did, we did a food and clothing drive. I had 17 vans of clothes mm-hmm. and sneakers. My kids hit up local drug dealers for stuff to donate to victims of, of natural disasters. Wow. And to think if my kids in the South Bronx can do it, you know, kids on the Upper East Side, West Side, Beverly Hills, across this country, everybody, give up one pair of sneakers and donate it to someone who needs it. Your life will be better and so will theirs. Uh-huh. So it was a game changer. and We gave birth to the Green Bronx Machine. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Yeah, so explain what the Green Bronx machine is. Okay, so it's a work in progress for sure. But what happened is at that time, my kids and I were doing such nutty stuff, people wanted to support us. And they wanted to donate money, which was great. But we didn't have a vehicle to accept that, and I wanted to do it legally. Mm -hmm. So people suggested that we open up a non-for-profit. But I never like things that start with a non. I like to say instead of a non-for-profit, we are a for-purpose organization Mm -hmm. with charitable status. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you define yourself by not non, you're doomed. Uh, So that's part of the problem, I think, right there, because no one should be a not and nothing should be a non. Uh Uh, We should all be a (laughs) for-something. So we are a for-purpose organization. And people wanted to donate scholarship money for some of my kids who wanted to go to college and actually got in, but we didn't have a vehicle to do it and do it legally. So we cobbled together this 501c3, which we are, and by the time we got that thing established, uh, those big donors moved on. Mm -hmm. And we're learning, and what we were, we were dedicated at that time primarily to workforce development and community development. You know, getting kids, those who are apart from becoming a part of and generating jobs. And we were very good at that. We, also, we always said that, uh, well, my wife's name is Lizette, and we always said kids who went through Camp Lizette were ready to go to work. Mm-hmm. And so the kids knew that if they put up with me and put up with my wife and gave me six months and got their life together, and they actually found that their lives were coming together by spending time with me and Lizette, that, you know, things got better. Their drama right. went away. They were getting credits. They were closer to graduation. They were happy. They weren't, you know... We gave a lot of boyfriend-girlfriend advice, too. Um, yeah. You know, all that stuff. Life advice. Uh, 
so it became a workforce development program. But then we started also realizing academic success and community development. So we continued to evolve. Uh, then I found out about elementary school education and just became in love with that. Mm-hmm. So Green Bronx Machine believes that healthy students are at the heart of healthy schools and healthy schools are at the heart of healthy, resilient communities and that together we can grow something greater. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I found Tower Garden technology and that was the biggest game changer for right. me ever. Right. Tower Gardens changed everything for me. How I got there is a funny story, but... So tell that story. Okay, that story is crazy. My kids and I won the National Indoor Gardening Championship, and we get invited to uh, this show. I won't, in, a, in another state, and my kids, and the bulk of them never left the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So we get invited to this state, and I was so naive, I didn't realize what they were growing in this state. Uh-huh. Um, and we get out there, and everyone's <laughs> like, you know, what the kids are going, and they thought I was there. We're growing too, buddy. Loved your TED Talk, dude. Um, so the kids thought I was the coolest teacher in the world. You know, the first interview they wanted was me, me in high times, and uh-huh. I had to run. That's not what you want to do on a school trip. Um, but we started looking at the technology, and lo and behold, you know, I came across Tower Garden technology. And mm-hmm. It was affordable. It was practical. It was scalable. It was small, it was precise, it was concise, and it worked. And I said, all the things that I've always wanted to do with plants, I could do with this thing. Mm-hmm. And not get dirty, and do it in class, and do it year-round, and put it on wheels. And mm-hmm. that was a game-changer for mm-hmm. me. So how many tower gardens do you have functioning now in the school? Uh, in schools, we have them across America. I mean, I put tower gardens in school systems in yeah, Wisconsin, yeah. in California, in, in Florida, um, I'm now in the process of building the National Health and Well National Health the National Health Wellness and Learning Center at PS55. So if you haven't right. seen our TED Talk, that's the TED Talk I'm really proud of, the most recent one, uh-huh. the National Health and I've Wellness seen Center. Both. There's two, right? I, there's I a couple, but there's two that are very well known and some that aren't well known. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one that viral is long ago, or I was big and fat, that seems to haunt me everywhere. Uh-huh. But the one I'm most it's proud great, of. It's great though. Well, the funny thing about that TED Talk. I love talk, that TED Talk. Believe it or not. I, I'll link it in the show notes for people. That well, are put the new one. Put the I'll new put, one okay. in. I'll put the, the old one is funny. The new one with the, where you're wearing the hat? Uh, yeah, the new yeah. one where the kids come out on stage. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I want to celebrate the kids and talk about my vision for the future. The old talk was really, I talked about what I did, and that was great, and people got excited. But, you know, where can we take this? You know, mm-hmm. how can we flip the script on public education and public nutrition? That's the game changer. Right. And we can do that. And Tower right. Gardens allows for that. <clears throat> right. I mean, then this, this kind of naturally uh, dovetails into scalability, right? So right. how do we take, like, you know, you know, just to kind of paint the picture, I mean, you've t- you've, you've tra- you literally have transformed your community. You've transformed the lives of these kids who have now gone. We, we haven't even got into, you know, sort of the productive lives that they've been able to craft as a result of this experience of being in your classroom and learning these skills. I mean, you're taking, uh, you know, this skill set, these kids who are, who are growing in all these lots and, and on rooftops across the South Bronx, and then getting hired to go out to the Hamptons and do rooftop gardens on, you know, people's really fancy, you know, second homes or what have you. How cool was that? It was, yeah, our, I mean, story, it was our version of the Jeffersons, right. I like to say, from South Bronx to Southampton. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah. Our version of the Jeffersons. And, and, you know, pictures of kids holding up checks and getting paid, you know, well to do something that they know how to do to create something beautiful and sustainable that's enriching the lives of the people that are paying for it. I mean, you know, across the board, pillar to post, it's like a win-win for everybody, right? And so you're seeing this tremendous, um, you know, uh, not incremental, but exponential change in your community and and kids going out into the world empowered with skill sets that will serve them their whole life. Not to mention, you know, 
teaching them how to be healthy also, which a they lot of vegetables, a lot of flowers and right. vegetables, so, man. Yeah, it's exactly. Cool. And 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 so the idea being, okay, how do we scale this? How do we create this in other school systems? I mean, the one thing you can't scale is your is you, right? Like, no, I believe I can a, scale. There's not me. a Stephen Ritz. I mean, you are a very unique individual, right? So you can't yeah, rely on I there being know. a guy like you in every school system. There should be, but you can and have there are. systems. They're coming. They're coming, right? And I and, and it reminds me of well, it reminds me of a couple things. First thing is, two years ago I went and visited PS two forty four in Queens two twenty four. Wait, is it two forty four? Um, they were the first school to in, to implement like a vegetarian school lunch, and they're oh, doing all I've this. I've heard of them. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. It's great, and they they're doing. It's a whole. That got a lot of press because it's vegetarian, but in truth, you know, after visiting them and, and meeting the kids and the teachers and the administrators, it's really a, a wellness-focused school. Like, it, it's infused into the DNA of, of what they've created there. Every, it's really cool. That's exactly um, It has to be in your DNA. And they worked with uh, an organization that I'm probably going to butcher it. I think it's called the New York Coalition for Healthy School Launch or something like that. And it sounds like it's probably something similar to this sort of uh, what was the organization you referenced that allowed you to feed the kids the food that you grew in the cafeteria? The Department of Ed School Garden to School Cafe program. Right, which is great because there are political and social and economic barriers to letting kids eat the food that they, that they grow. I mean, there's a lot of money that goes into school lunch and a lot of politics. So a lot of waste. To, to penetrate that in the slightest is like a huge victory. And, and it reminds me, the second example that I was thinking of is when Jamie Oliver did his Food Revolution show, and he tried to do it in Los Angeles, and he was trying to kind of address and overhaul the Los Angeles Unified School District's school lunch program, and he just got shut down. Like they, he just well, I'm looking for Jamie. He can partner so, with me. Yeah. Jamie, if you're listening, I've been writing to you. You just don't write back. Uh, he's a tough guy to I know. He's to, a right? tough guy to reach. Um, but but I think you know being able to impact school lunch in any way whatsoever is you know is difficult. But to the extent that you've been able to do that, that's a we huge we have victory. lunch and learn with the principal every week, and the kids grow it's the food amazing. in school, it's and that's the coolest thing. And there's all this fear around it, like oh well, what if somebody gets sick? But they're feeding ki- kids this Poison. terrible food, Poison. right? So the the right questions aren't being asked. Well, the big question I like to ask the kids is. How many nuggets when we see a chicken? Because even though they like eating chicken and they like eating meat and they like eating hamburgers, they don't realize that came from a cow or a real chicken. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a fake chicken. You know, it comes from the food factory. It's in the basement of Costco. Kids don't. So I always show them a chicken and say, how many nuggets? Like, what do you mean? Like, well, how many nuggets are you going to get out of that? You mean, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Um, so kids don't know. But to your point, this has to be in their DNA. When it's in their DNA, they get it and it transcends everything. There's culture. So this health, wellness, and learning culture is critical if we're going to teach kids how to change their lives. Mm-hmm. So you have scaled it, right? Yeah. There's been programs in other cities with other yep. schools. So let's get into that a little bit. I mean, it's cuckoo. I'm, in, in two weeks, I'm headed down to Columbia, South America, to think a kid from the South Bronx could make it to the front page of the Columbia newspaper, given uh-huh. the relationship between Columbia and South Bronx in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when everything was crazy. OMG, as the kids would uh-huh. say. But that's the beauty of this. I mean, and Columbia has a lot of challenges, but they really turned around their inner cities, and now they're looking at ways to scale workforce development along with healthy eating because mm-hmm. food is a non-negotiable. No matter where you go, people got to eat. 
Mm-hmm. So if you learn that you can grow food and that essentially all food is grown, you know, without farmers, we'd all be naked and hungry. Mm-hmm. So that's just the sad reality of it all. Um, and that farming, well, we need to restore dignity to farmers first and foremost. So we need to restore dignity. Food, you know, needs to become less of this thing that is cheap and inexpensive and more of this thing that we respect and adore and kind of tell a story about and romance right. and respect. So that's part of it. And ironically, my kids learn about kids in other countries who tend to look like them, who are doing it as slave labor. So that gets them upset. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing because that's a whole entry point into human rights and self-respect and dignity and, you know, and equal rights for all. Mm-hmm. And that, that, those, those are the issues that matter to me. And mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that they're eating healthy, dude. There's nothing better than seeing kids who are well-fueled for a day of academic performance instead of some kids who are just, you know, hopped up on bad chemicals. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget, how did I learn about organic food? With a bunch of gang kids talking to me about organic blunt wrap. I was like, what the hell is organic blunt wrap? <laughs> and they're, they're like... Uh, Whatever your entry point, Yeah, whatever your entry point. They're like, yo, Ritz, no, you don't want any chemicals messing with your weed. And I'm like, what is this organic thing that you're talking about? Well, you know, you have to grow these things without chemicals. And I'm like, so you guys get smoked out and you sit in McDonald's in White Castle all night and you come to school on six cans of Red Bull and you tell them you don't want chemicals because you want organic. Mm -hmm. But understanding what these things are and then again... You know, in my lifetime, I've seen the onset of puberty in kids at a much younger age. And mm-hmm. I really believe it has to do with what we're eating and how we're eating. Mm-hmm. And has this program been replicated in other school systems in the U.S.? Yeah, I've done a bunch of schools in California. Um, it's amazing that one man in a bow tie on a mission can get mm-hmm. out there and really create this kind of change. But I think the world is hungry for it. Um, you're like the, you're like the Bill Nye the Science Guy version of urban gardening. Uh, yeah, I like to say uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm Mr. Cotter. You know, yeah. I, I'm Mr. Cotter. Right. I guess you know, I'm a modern day Mr. Cotter. But um, yeah. Uh, but really, what I want to do is grow teachers because I believe the next generation of teachers who can change lives is right out there. You know, it's not about being when I was young the big voice or the you know the stronger or faster than the kids. It's just really about living a healthy life and empowering them to make decisions that are going to change them. Right. It seems that the kind of conventional narrative is that, you know, teachers go in idealistically into underprivileged communities and they get beaten down by the system and they burn out or they just sort of fall into line. So, how, you know, how can how can somebody model you there's know, some of what that, but there's also done. another aspect, too, quite frankly, and here's the ugly truth. A lot of teachers go into these communities because it's real easy for them to be there. They can't cut their weight in their own community, and because these communities have such challenges, they believe there's more money. So, you know, when we start prognosticating summer school in October and November because, you know, teachers want to send their kids to day camps, I'm like, no, you need to teach harder for eight months and come see me in June because you're going to tell me that you can't teach in 10 months what you can in six weeks because you want some extra money for your family. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. So we've got to break the status quo. Um, so some teachers do get beat down. Listen, for sure, the, the challenges are tough. But I believe that by creating healthy, vibrant, aspirational classrooms, verdant, green, inspirational, aspirational places, we're taking the edge off that. And more importantly, you get a lot of vegetables, too. So you right. can have a healthy lunch with your kids and the principal and me. 
So if, if there's a teacher out there who's listening to this, who's inspired by your example, I mean, how does, how does one begin to, you know, implement some of this wisdom into their classroom? Cool question. Start small. I know that sounds weird yeah. coming from me, but start small. Exclusive. But don't ask for permission. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Get a good mentor. Find a good mentor for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, now it's much more permissive. I really believe we have pushed the needle in that regard where it's okay to do these things. Mm-hmm. We realize we've got to change. Um, we realize that. I mean, here in New York City, I'm a big fan of the new chancellor. Um, you know, she's wonderful. She's talking about community schools, you know, whole school communities. And that's what it's about. Nothing thrilled mm-hmm. me more than to hear Chancellor Farina talk about her role as chancellor and abuela, you know, and, and how do you, and how do mm-hmm. you, but it's really bringing community and parents and people together. Schools are at the heart of healthy communities and particularly resilient communities. So we've got to look at those high needs communities to get them what they need. And that's really whole community education. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about food now more than ever, because good food, respectful food also offers living wage employment. And that's great. In addition to the health benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, success stories with the kids? Are there kids any that stand, they college. stand out? I mean, <laughs> I've got kids who are coming to my house asking me, you think it's okay if I get married? I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like are- you're like this uh, in, in, your, in your neighborhood, in your community. You're like uh, old school. Like what, what the kind of like priest would have been like back in the 1970s who knew all the kids in the neighborhood. Well, I do try and kids know Kids go to you for kid. advice. And, I do try and you're and the one guy parent. who knows what everybody's doing. I, I, I know. Sometimes I think I know too much, but yeah. I feel I never know enough either. Uh-huh. Um, but my job is to be the mayor. You know, I'm CEO, right. chief eternal optimist. And, you know, and I'm on a, going to forever scream, si se puede, but I want to mentor teachers. What, is, what does that mean? Yes, we can. You know, uh-huh. we are Americans, Mexicans, Dominicans, African Americans. And this is our moment. And I believe that no matter what community you're in, Listen, I can't build you a new school, but I could put a plant in your classroom. Mm-hmm. And I believe having a plant in a classroom is a good start. Mm-hmm. It leads to a whole lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved in, it was, I think it was the Urban Gardening video where it's the kids and they're, they're, uh, they have all of their the shovels and everything like that. And they're getting on the subway and people are like, what's going on? And, oh, then, yeah. and then you have the picture of the, the kid who he's wearing a tie and he's like using an ATM machine. He's the first person in his family to use an ATM machine. Like these are like huge, you know, right. transformative oh, and, yeah, things. I know exactly what, what story you're talking about. I mean, I have a young man and that's, what's interesting too, see, because America is still the land of opportunity. And I'm in a community where a lot of parents came here from another place because they were hungry, mm-hmm. literally hungry for food, or they were walking six miles a day to get water for subsistence farming and couldn't go to school. So when you give these kind of opportunities for kids who come from that, they love it. And when you grow culturally relevant food and you give it away for free in a community that has limited means and limited access to it, and this is what these parents came to America for, Oh, my God, that's a game changer. And that's Mm -hmm. the purpose behind my National Health and Wellness Learning Center, because we're going to also do job development. We're going to have parents in after school. We're going to be open early. So we're going to do workforce development, job training. I'm going to teach people how to grow food and give it away Mm -hmm. and grow culturally relevant food. So we're going to connect kids and parents around science, around learning, around literacy. When parents are in school, you know, you bring the body, the brain follows. We're going to sign them up. We're going to make them voters. Mm -hmm. We're going to get them registered. We're going to give them health care. This is, these are the critical things and teach them how to be proactive and move into spheres of 
self-care as opposed to dependent health care. Right. And I, I, th- I would think that that begins with instilling them with a sense of self-esteem, that actually that is possible for them in their lives. Well, like, my kids maybe they're, 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 they're mess- they're, they've never been told that before, or right. they're, they're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a world in which they don't think that that is possible for them. All right. When my kids hold up a bag of produce, my little guys, and say, hey, I grew this, and I'm bringing it home to my parents, that's awesome. When they have their favorite teacher and they bring them lettuce or tomatoes, that's awesome. The kids mm-hmm. love it. You know, and just like the mommy-mommy factor worked in the 60s and 70s for sugar-sweetened cereals, you know, the healthy, fresh food works too. Mm-hmm. Don't discount, you know, the mommy-mommy factor with kids and the cool factor. But more importantly, with the older kids, there's a job factor. Listen, you're never going to get you know, a great job working in a fast food restaurant. You may work your way up. But the reality is with gourmet culinary, you, know, you could be a sweet chef and make a good living. You, know, you could work as a prep cook and a line cook in a fancy restaurant and have mm-hmm. a decent life. And if you made some mistakes in the past, as long as you're showing up clean and sober... You're going to have a good life. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if someone got arrested five years ago for drug possession when I'm out to eat. I want my food fresh, and I want it the way I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want something that's homogenized, pasteurized, and, you know, I mean, not anymore. I know better. I still have my moments of weakness, and you yeah. know, but for the most part, I want healthy food. I got to nourish myself. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. kids are fine, and there's no greater demand for culinary you know, than in here in New York City. So five short miles and six long degrees of separation become, is between my kids and, and, and Manhattan. Right. But Manhattan and Brooklyn is becoming the new proving ground for my kids, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, to think yeah. they're going there for something good to feed people, they show up and they put on their uniform, they can't wait. Well, and it's an amazing time for that right now, particularly in this city, because the, the local food move, movement is so big, and there's so many restaurants that are looking to, you know, source locally. Exactly. I mean, even sort of economically and politically, you know, you can tell a great story about food that was grown in the Bronx that's by these kids that's being served in these restaurants, and, and restaurants that are employing these kids that For have sure. grown the food, too. That's, that's a really cool story. Bronx flavor, baby. Yeah. Bronx flavor. <laughs> Hood so, food is good food, right. I like to say, and good food is hood food. What are, what are some of the things uh, in the public education system that you think are, you know, need to be addressed that are crisis issues, just sort of, in, sort of systemic issues that are not serving the kids? Well, I think kids need more school. Hate to say it, but I think kids need more school. So I'd like to see a shorter summer vacation. I'd like to see a reworking of the calendar. Um, I think the calendar, the school <clears throat> calendar, in some ways is kind of counterintuitive to solid educational practice. And what I mean by that is we start school, we have a series of holidays. We can't really get it off the ground. As soon as you get it off the ground, you go to vacation. So I'd like to see a longer school mm-hmm. day. I really would. hate to say it, but it's true. My kids need more school. I'd like to see a shorter summer break. And um, I think that would be a good start right there. I'd like to see more emphasis on health and wellness. I'd like to see a greater emphasis on STEM and STEAM. And for those of you who don't know, STEM, yeah, is, is, STEAM, STEM? is just STEM with A for arts, advocacy, and aspiration. I'm a huge believer in arts, um, no matter what form it is, including sports. So getting those carrots into schools that make kids want to be there and then, you know, keeping that carrot in front of the kids so that the body continues mm-hmm. to come and you continue to access the brain. 
But I think, you know, technology is the way and not necessarily only iPads or, you know, digital technology, but food technology, tinkering, you know, projects, collaboration, mm-hmm. coalition. Um, you know, we just need to have a more engaged and active student participatory model. Yeah, because, I mean, project-based education really just isn't the model at all. I mean, it's about, like, surface-level yeah, learning, and, you know, get, what, get the facts that you need to know to take the test, to pass the test, and it's moving on to the next thing. And it's just very, you know, boom, 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 and it's, the train is moving very, very quickly. So there isn't a lot of opportunity to really go in-depth into any given thing. And so the... the I would imagine that the devil's advocate point of view would be, we love what you're doing, but like not every classroom can be project based in the way that and do things the way that you're doing because we'd never get anything done. Well, right? Wouldn't that be like? I don't think every classroom should. I think every classroom should have an element of everything. Um, so to be entirely anything is is not good. But kids are learning differently. I mean, I'm a very. I want to teach empathy. You know, an ecology of the mind and an ecology of the planet. These are some of the critical things mm-hmm. that are really going to affect these kids long after you and I are gone. Um, you know, the world is getting hotter, crowded, you know, more crowded. There are real issues going on, and the ability to communicate in real time is insane. Or miscommunicate is, is insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So teaching kids those critical skills is, is absolutely important. Um, mm-hmm. And problem solving. You know, we're, we're, we've created quite a mess. Yeah. Uh, empathy, yeah, that's, there's no course for that. There's right no now. course for that, but we are human <laughs> beings. You know, Mother Nature uh-huh. has no mercy. But, you know, we as human beings do. We need to look at that. Mm-hmm. We need to understand what it means to be compassionate, mm-hmm. what it means to be civilized, mm-hmm. what it means to walk erect and upright um, and treat all kids with dignity. Mm-hmm. You know, you look around what's going on in this country, you know, the biggest issue around the world still remains civil rights. And if you strand it out, it's education and the environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and zip code and skin color shouldn't determine one's destiny in life, damn mm-hmm. it. But sadly, that seems to be the biggest prognosticator. Mm-hmm. We need to change that. Mm-hmm. And we need to change the way we teach kids to get along with each other. Yeah. So what kind of, you know, what kind of things that do you do in your daily teaching to kind of instill those ideals? I do a whole lot of hugging, a whole lot of hand yeah. holding, a whole lot of nose wiping. Um, and those are things that matter, you know, those are things that matter. But I bring my A game daily. I do a lot of due diligence in terms of preparation of lessons. Um, I always, you know, yeah, you want to be the teacher, but I always imagine myself as the student. I do a lot of observations. I do a lot of teacher support. So I'll go in, I try and find great things that teachers are doing. And I celebrate. You got to celebrate, you know, celebrate the small successes. Mm-hmm. One celebration leads to another. And the more you celebrate, the more you show up. Mm-hmm. And that's critical. You just got to celebrate properly. Yeah. I think that you're, you know, you're living, you're very obviously extremely passionate about what you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Like you're, you're, you know, you are in the right place at the right time. Right. Um, but you hear a lot like, oh, we're not getting the best people to be teachers because we don't pay them enough. And, you know, the, the people that are going into teaching are, it's not what it used to be. I mean, how can we address that issue of trying to, trying to uh, inspire bright young minds to get into teaching and to be able to, you know, because I think 
people listening to you will say, I, you know, I'd like to be like that guy. Like, this sounds like, Come on you know, down. this sounds like, you know, a, a life worth living, right? It is. My life is a life worth yes. living. And well, my teacher's life is. is a teacher's life worth living. Mm-hmm. Teachers change lives. So if you're listening, teachers change lives. If you're getting into it to change your own life, you're probably going to crap out really quickly. <laughs> yeah. But if you get into it to change lives, listen, behind every successful person, there is a teacher. Whether it's a mentor, an elder, a family member, there is someone who taught you something. Every person listening, you know, remember that teacher you hated? I'm not that guy mm-hmm. or I'm not that woman. But remember that teacher you loved? Remember that teacher that you wish your child could have one day or that you saw on TV? Be that person. Be kind. Mm-hmm. Be firm, but be kind, mm-hmm. you know, and learn the meaning of the word no. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still say yes, you can still say no. Well, I mean, you've had to, you know, you're from the, you're from the community where you teach. So was there a process of, you know, how do you gain the respect of, of your students? Because I think, you know, a lot of people who go into teaching into areas where they're not from there, they, they struggle with that, right? Like, That's a great point. So you see, when I first started, this is, I started teaching before the internet, you know, I mean, like, whoa, I tell the kids, you know, Jesus was, was one of mine. And literally in the old days, all you had to do was be like the big loud voice in the room. Today, I find the most effective teachers are those distinct voices, the soft voice, the, you know, the unique voice. You know, the internet has changed all that. Now, as administrators and systems, we need to find and create systems where those unique individuals could flourish. You know, the nutty teacher with the, the kids love nerds. Some of my most effective teachers in the inner city are these tiny pipsqueak people who are really passionate about what they do and can convey that passion, mm-hmm. whether it's through their voice, their artwork, or their laptop. So bring your A-game, damn it. But administratively and systemically, we've got to create systems where these professionals succeed. Right. So if you were- Teaching (laughs) changes lives, man. Get out there and be a teacher, please. Uh, If you were secretary of education then, what kind of systems would you change like to, to, to make that more possible? So I believe that some of the data stuff, like there are schools that I see that have data managers that are letting teachers do what they need to do, and they're effective. Um, and they're, they're far more effective. I think we're, look, I think, you know, this is a great, it's a crisis time in public education, but I believe out of every crisis comes a victory, and we're starting to get it right. Mm-hmm. We are starting, I want to see it happen more, and I want to see it happen more substantially, but I think that we are getting it right. But the bottom line is everyone needs to work harder. So roll up your sleeves, get a little dirty, and plant something in the ground, and realize mm-hmm. some days it's seeds, and some days it's kids, but, you know, you got to keep planting those seeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bring I, your A-game. I love the fact that you didn't, you know, you didn't come from this place of knowing a lot about gardening or growing food. And, you know, this is not part of your, you know, life experience. Uh, and you figured it out, you know, and you figured it out for the kids and for yourself. I haven't figured so, it out. The kids have figured it out. I just get the right. credit. It's great. Because the people, you know, people will say, well, I love what you do, but I don't know anything. Like, how do I even start that? Like, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin. You know, it's funny. I get like a lot of email and I get these nutty questions from kids uh, about, you know, they want to grow food in July. I mean, like technical stuff, man. Thank God for Google. Mm-hmm. But That's the beauty of it. I really don't know that much, but I'm determined to get it right, and thank God I can assign kids to do it for me. Um, 
and that's the beauty of the internet age. You know, you could really get access to information and FaceTime and Skype and learn from other people. And I'd like to see a world where we're spreading seeds instead of dropping bombs mm-hmm. and computers, you know, and FaceTime and, you know, and Apple phones and all that cool stuff that I didn't have when I was a kid allow for that instead of sitting there and watching some stupid video about Rihanna or right. some nonsense, you know, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine as a child having a th- be able to hold a thing in your hand that basically could answer any question you ever had about anything? Well, you're going <laughs> to laugh. So this is a true story. I was recently invited back to the South Bronx High School campus uh-huh. where I started teaching. And I remember when I started teaching in 1984, there were textbooks in the building that said, one day man will go to the moon. And I remember taking them out. And the kids were so insulated, they didn't even know man had been to the moon. Mm. And I sit there and I would read these books to the kids. You know, and they, 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 it was fiction. One day man will go to the moon. And we'd look outside the window and think, Wow, Rich, that's cool. Do you think that'll ever happen? Meanwhile, it happened, you know, God knows how, how, right. how much, before, way before they were born. And then, you know, these cell phones came along. And there's probably more technology in this thing in, that you could put in your hand or in your pocket. They never got people to the moon. You know, the kids marvel at me. I, have, I wear cassette bow ties sometimes. Mm-hmm. I still listen to cassettes. They think I'm like <laughs> broadcasting. It's funny. Um, but the internet age, you know, there are blessings. And there are curses to it. You just got to learn how to be in control of it and use it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And how is that a problem with kids in cell phones in the classroom? Like, how has that impacted? Because, you know, the cell phone thing really hit its kind of nadir in the, only in the last couple of years, really. I think we've just begun to look at how we could use them creatively. I think it's still so novel and kids are so dependent on it. Um, but I believe, you know, technology done right along with capitalism done right, can change the world, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not going away. It's, it's a, certainly it's a way, not, no. it's, it's your relationship to it. Right, and, it's how you manage And how it. you're using it in your classroom. So how, how many kids are in your class? I see on a given day, I have a gardening club where 50 kids show up. Um, depends on my schedule. Any day I could have one class to four or five classes because I also try and push into classes to support teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of what I wrestle with because to create the next generation of me, which I believe is eminently possible. Mm-hmm. People, you know, you're giving me far too much credit. I believe greatness is everywhere. We've just got to unearth it and, and, and nourish it. Um, so my job is to nourish greatness. Now, while I love being in front of a classroom and love being in front of kids and love being with kids and love being a kid, Enabling a teacher to grow and grow X many more classes and X many more generations is a far better use of my time. Mm-hmm. Having a principal who I adore, who trusts me and values me and, you know, is able to reflect upon his practice and my practice together means we're going to govern a school better. And that's, that's critical. Right. So it's, it's a time balance. You know, I am a work in progress. You know, I mean, on the evolutionary well, we chart are. of man, I think I'm trying <laughs> yeah, to get from the left are. side to the right. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remain teachable and trying to figure it out. I don't ever want to keep doing what I've just done. Uh-huh. So learning how to be most efficacious with my time um, in this technological age. I can't even catch up with all the stuff that I'm supposed to catch up with, you know, half the time. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. tough. But I'm learning. Yeah. So, all right. So teaching the kids and then right now, like through Green Bronx Machine, like how much food is being produced and what's going on with that? Okay. So, whew. I wish I, I mean I wish I could push I take the picture out of my phone and push uh-huh. it through the radiator right now at my little school in the South Bronx and make note that we are in the heart of public housing on our little stretch of cement we have the most productive school garden that I know of and I'm sure there's someone out there with more mm-hmm. but we have one of the most productive outdoor gardens per square foot of anywhere that I've ever seen um, we literally have 
five to 600 plants in a front yard that are going to generate mm. thousands of pounds of food and already starting to. I mean, it's beautiful to see what's going on. Um, you know, indoors, I've grown 30,000 pounds of vegetables and 30,000 pounds of vegetables oh. later. I like to say my favorite crop is organically grown citizens, graduates and members of the middle class, kids mm-hmm. who are going to college. But we're just getting started. My goal really is at the National Health and Wellness Center is to generate 100 bags of groceries per week, vegetables that kids are taking home, leafy greens, tomatoes, peppers, herbs, things that have, you know, are dense in nutrition and robust in taste so that we can expand their palates and their vocabulary and their culinary experiences and bring parents back to school. And the the Health and Wellness Center is another thing. We didn't even really get into that. Like, that's another project that you've birthed, right? Right, That has its its home inside PS55. Right, right? four stories Uh up. It's coming soon. If anybody wants to donate, please let me know. You can write us at the Green Bronx Machine website or check. The kids run the Facebook page. So if you're listening, please like the kids on Facebook at up. I don't even know what the Facebook thing what is. What is it? Well, I'll put all that in the okay. show notes. I think I it's even... just Facebook forward slash Green Bronx Machine. I don't know. I don't we'll, know. We'll I'm on Twitter. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, listen yeah. to me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I do Twitter, not too much during school time, but Twitter's at like Green my, BX Machine. At Green BX Machine. That's yes. me. I try to stay off it during school time, <laughs> um, but I try to have fun with it. I do love Twitter. I think you know it's made me a better writer, a better effective communicator. It allows you to tell a story, so to speak, in a short Kind yeah, of not, well, you not share a lot of cool stuff in your feed. But uh, the I kids, the kids, yeah, the kids are cool on Facebook. Um, we are redoing the website. Um, we're going to try and do a TV show. So we've got things coming. Right, but the 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 health and wellness center is like how is that different from Green Bronx Machine? So well, that's... Green Bronx Machine is going to build it, but this <clears throat> National Health and Wellness Center, and literally Green Bronx Machine is raising the money. Right, so that's um, the that's the for what are you calling it? Not nonprofit. But that's for, the for purpose, purpose, or, for organization. purpose organization right, with so charitable status. Yeah, that's what's fueling the growth of this center, right? Correct. So tell me what the center is. What this center is will be a twenty first century classroom an epicenter of the school that is going to offer seven periods a day of instruction, have enough food to send 100 bags of groceries home per week, have a complete digital media center so kids can broadcast their success, have a teacher research Mm -hmm. center, have an interactive classroom, and a completely mobile medical kitchen, which is a teaching kitchen. So we'll be able to process food, teach food, teach food safety, teach food hygiene, have culinary club, but also learn all the science related to common core and content mm-hmm. area about growing food, propagating food, <clears throat> storing food, selling food, eating food, and everything else about it. Yeah. And how much money do you have to raise for that? I'm trying to raise about $125,000, and I'm delighted to name it after anybody who yeah. writes me that check. So please. <laughs> That's not that much. It's I not mean, that from much. what you just described, I'm thinking, well, this is going to cost a couple million bucks. No. And again, I am very frugal. I'm very efficacious. Yeah. We do Herculean work with lots of quarters, nickels, and dimes, but we could Sure, use a couple of hundred dollar bills. Yeah, and just so people know, and I mean, we're hundred percent volunteer for years and years and years. I mean, you're you were you self funded this whole thing from the beginning. I have been right? self funded like for was, years. All came out of your pocket to even you know make this make this happen. So and that was part of it too, kids. So I had you know skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't want to walk over bodies. I want to you know carry people on my shoulders. Right. And how many, can you estimate how many acres of the South Bronx, like just through sort of urban, you know, blight and, 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 and open, you know, open lots that have been transformed by your kids? I would say, to- oh, all, I mean, 
like it's huge swaths of land. Yeah, it's up it's, yeah, right? it's kind of cool. I we mean, not even of, including all the rooftops. Yeah, we have a couple of we have like one farm that goes for six straight blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk and the about, kids maintain that. Who works on that? Yeah, the kids are there. I mean, right. the kids are there. Um, and they're and, 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 then, and the they, community owns it, which so, is really cool too. Right, and and it's created this. You know, sort of, it's it's a school for entrepreneurship too, because the kids tend to it, right? And then they sell. This is like a business for them. Is that and, how that works, or that's part of it? But I just think, to your point, it's becoming their DNA. I mean, the, the most touching thing is the my most productive workers are kids who have come back to, from the program and have jobs elsewhere who just want to mm-hmm. give back, right? Um, and that's beautiful. You know, the garden in front of PS fifty five that was built by my graduates who just want to afford the next generation the same opportunity that they had. Mm-hmm. How cool was that? Um, this is odd. There is no one getting a salary at Green Bronx Machine. Um, you know, kids are there volunteering. I'm there volunteering. My wife is there volunteering. Um, and we are just determined to grow something greater. Um, ideally, it's going to scale up. We will take on some employees. And, uh, you know, that, that will be something in the future because that needs to happen. But this is really about as local as local gets. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, we're getting close to closing it down, but there's a couple things I want to ask you before I'm going to let you leave. No worries. <laughs> and uh, the first thing is uh, there's a lot of parents that listen to this show, um, and I'm wondering if, if, if a parent's listening and they're having a kid, a young person that they're struggling with connecting with, like they're, they're, they're trying to find a way emotionally in to connect with their kid. They, they can't seem to be able to find a common language or, or to kind of, you know, partner with the child to co-create something that the child is interested in. I mean, what are some tips or some strategies or some tools that, you know, somebody who's listening could kind of take with them and, and you said the magic word, even though this is a talk show, the magic word is listen. Um, and then it's just being accessible. Um, sometimes the magic happens when you least expect it. You just got to be there. Nothing's going to happen if you don't show up. Mm-hmm. So you got to show up and you got to be consistent. And that's usually for a lot of difficult kids. The most important thing, I spend a lot of time with kids just spending a lot of time. They're doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. But creating a safe space Kids need safe spaces. Um, you know, we have this myth that everyone needs to be engaged 24 hours a day and we need to be doing these wonderful things and building pyramids and, you know, get... No. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to feel safe. And when kids know that you're this, this, is this beacon of safety, then the magic happens. And the other piece is, you know, listening. Sometimes you don't need to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Let them ask you questions. I mean, you know, it's funny because I'm sitting here running my mouth endlessly, but, you know, I think the best thing I ever do with my daughter is shut up and let her talk mm-hmm. or just spend time together quietly. She's um, sitting back there right now. Smiling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she start laughing. <laughs> you know, be a good partner. And that's, you know, the same thing in a marriage. Be a good partner. You know, give credit where credit's due. And right. I think kids benefit from acknowledgement, too. Right. Everyone wants to be acknowledged. Make them a hero. Every kid should be a hero at least once a week, mm-hmm. once a day, once mm-hmm. an hour. Whatever works. The flip side of the question is is for uh, you know educators out there who are similarly trying to connect with their kids or, or trying to find a way to inspire them. And I feel like um, you know you found you've tapped this vein with farming and it's been you know enormously successful. But I feel because you're such a dynamic personality, it could have like if it was wood shop, you you probably could have created that same kind of engagement through another vehicle. 
Oh, I was I'm a glad hell you... of a math teacher, man. Let me tell you. I mean, I'm sure you were. Yeah, you know, I, love... I, I figure like whatever you decided, you could make anything interesting to these kids. So, and you but know that's what I mean? the point. But, so can you bring your A game, uh, bring passion. Kids respond to passion. So bring passion. But you can't manufacture passion. But right? everybody's passionate about something. And you have to share that. Right. You have to share that. And the other thing is to be organized. You know, I do come with an agenda. And, you know, I also tell kids, this is perhaps, okay, so this is a great thing. I always tell kids on a daily basis how they're going to help hold me accountable. Because every day, you know, I say, oh, we're going to hold you accountable for this. Well, I tell kids how they're going to hold me accountable. Basically, I just flip the script on them. And, you know, the funny thing is kids go out and they say, well, Mr. Rich's class, you know, he says we could hold you accountable. And, you know, the teachers come to me, Rich, what are you telling them? You know, it's my class. My name's on the door, not theirs. I said, let them hold you accountable, you know, because that means they're asking you questions. So accountability is a two-way street. At the end of the day, I know which way the ball runs, you know, and it, it runs downhill. And, you know, I am not the boss either. You know, I'm part of a larger ecosystem. Right. But accountability is key. Mm-hmm. Um, so be passionate and let the kids know you're going to hold them accountable, but they can hold you accountable. And it's okay to ask questions. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the key thing, too. And that, that means that the, the adult in the equation has to be perhaps a little bit more transparent and vulnerable than maybe they're used to being. Listen, kids recognize the real. Now more than ever, kids recognize the real. It is perfectly okay to tell a child you don't know, Mm -hmm. and I'll get back to you. In fact, the chancellor did that the other night at a school meeting, and I thought it was brilliant. You know, she got asked this question, and you can't know everything all the time, and she was honest about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, You know, like I say, I'm not always right. I'm just determined to get it right. And I'm not going to, you know, build my base on your back. I believe that together we could, this is a us, this is a we, this is our moment. And I want our time together to be sacred. And I think when kids know that you hold their time sacred and you're going to hold your time sacred, that time does become sacred. And you have to have expectations for it. And you need to lay them out there. So I love seeing classrooms with an agenda. I love seeing classrooms with schedules. Kids love checking off lists. Even the high, the little kids don't pay much attention to it, but the big kids, oh, you know, you're five minutes behind on your agenda. You know, you missed your talking point. You, missed, you know, I love being held they accountable. They want to be able to call, call right. you out. And yeah. that's fine. So, uh-huh. and be vulnerable. Be willing to be <clears throat> called out. If you're being called out for a greater common good, God bless everybody. They're paying attention. Mm-hmm. So enjoy it. Yeah, beautifully said. All right, well, if it was up to me, and I'm sure you would agree with this, every school would be growing its own food. Yeah? Yeah. So how do we make, how do we make this happen? Um, put a plant in every class. Celebrate food. Talk about food. Talk about diet. Um, the easiest way out, um, you know how I got kids to stop drinking soda? By testing the pH of the water that, you know, we use li- mm. liquid nutrients in water. So we're very pH dependent. And the kids love testing, testing the, the pH, pH because yeah. the color changes and it's a color chart. And they equate it to what's going on with the plant and they graph it for days. And then I go at them with the soda. Because the minute they test soda and they see the pH of soda, they're like, I can't put that in. It's toxic. Uh-huh. Duh. You know, I can say, don't drink soda my whole life. You know, no one gives a damn. But when kids understand what it is in relationship to something else they love, that's what it's all about. Mm, interesting. I love it. Um, now, is it possible to grow? Every, every school should be growing some food. Every kid needs to understand that plants are living, breathing things just like they are. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, that we're all part of a greater ecosystem, that water, soil, these things, you know, these are valuable resources. And we need to, you know, steward them. 
Yeah, we're so disconnected from where our food comes from. And Dude, my food comes through a bulletproof window and three layers of plastic. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine any place in America where there's more disconnect than where you live. And, you know, meanwhile, we're, you know, depleting the planet planet's resources at, a, at an alarming rate and our, you know, our soil is becoming progressively more toxic and, and all of these sort of things are happening very, very quickly. So it's never been more important for us to understand what, what is actually at play. And it begins with teaching one kid how to put a seed in soil, right? And, and creating that connection um, and fostering that and fertilizing that. Well, this is, here's the, the metaphor. Um, you know, my kids are traditionally, urban kids are traditionally disconnected from nature in a variety mm-hmm. of ways, except for the nature channel or some kind of show on TV. But if you teach kids about nature, they learn to nurture. And when children learn to nurture, we as a society collectively embrace our better nature. You know, how we walk with the wounded speaks far greater than how we sit with the tall. So walk with the wounded, you know, and walk with them the way you want to be walked with. That's the lesson here. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great place to end it. All righty. Thank you so much. Man, thanks. Steve. I want to ask you. I want to ask you a question. I want you to Go train for it. me, you man. Can ask what, me. So what? What's we could talk okay, about yeah, that? I want. I want. I want to be trained, man. I want <laughs> yeah. to look like you. Go, I don't go know, to you look pretty web. good. No, man. no, I don't look that good. Trust yeah. me, I've seen you without a shirt off what, on the website. What is uh, what's your what's your uh, workout routine right now? I don't now? have. You don't one. have one. Like, well, you know, we got to change that. I do a lot of stairs because I live in a walk up and I'm up and down the stairs all day. Uh I want to develop core. Yeah. And I went to a yoga class. You're going to laugh. And I was in this yoga class and I kept thinking I'm going to fall over on one of these pregnant people uh-huh. because they put me in, you know, the beginner's class with the pregnant people. And it was just like, <laughs> couldn't balance myself. I would keep uh-huh. home sore. Um, but like, it's been so long since I've really been physically active. I don't like running. Uh-huh. Uh, and my knees are shot. Right. But I really wanted. Yoga's great. I would say keep going back to yoga, and I got a core routine that I'm going to send you. Yeah, send me a like a PDF with a bunch of exercise on it. I want to look like you. I want to do one of your events, (laughs) and I want to give you credit. You know, I want to have your enthusiasm and vitality. So you're doing something. Doing what you're doing, the way you do it, it's got to be you too. And I mean, that's it. You find your passion, you go with it, you nourish it, you Mm -hmm. feed it. Um, My passion is really seeing smiling, happy kids. In school, I love being called, they can't even, some of them can't even pronounce my name. They call me Mr. Rips. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of, you know, on the flip side, the happiest thing is when I see these older gang kids who are working and living respectful lives and treating themselves and their partners and their communities with respect. That's awesome. Um, You know, together we can grow something greater and it's time, you know. It's a beautiful thing. Well, you are a true inspiration. You really are. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to talk no, to you. No, thanks and, kindly. And, uh, like my so kids on Facebook. Otherwise, they'll hate me. If learn I don't more plug it, you. I need to plug it more. Like yeah, my so, kids on Facebook. You know what? While we're sitting here, I'm going to pull up the Facebook page just so I make sure that I have it right. So, I should have been tweeting while I'm here. But um, I'll tweet on I want to do it. Uh, hold on. Green Bronx machine. I think it's there. Uh, hold on a second. Meanwhile, you're on Twitter at uh, Green, Green BX, BX Machine, machine yeah. and your website's Stephen PH, uh, Stephen with a PH, Ritz.com. Is it? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you don't we even have a know? Green Bronx Machine and. and <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, and you and green and it's greenbronxmachine.org is the Correct. is the website yep. for the organization. We have an upworthy right? special coming out soon, and we're going to have a, a campaign aligned to that. Uh huh. 
But we are a for-purpose organization with charitable status. <laughs> you are. All right. It's going to take too long for me to find this on Facebook right now. But I'll put it up in the show notes. I'm pretty sure it's... Hold on. Let me see. Let me just make sure. Whoops. I misspelled it in my haste. Machine. That should be it. Facebook.com forward slash... No, that's not it. All right, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Or I'll do it in the uh, I'll do it in the intro on the, the outro. Probably know. Yeah. All right. Know. All right, man. All right. Thanks Thank so you, much. man. Thanks so much. Yeah. What an honor. What a pleasure. The honor is all mine. Nah. So when are we going to get you up to the Bronx? We got to get you up to I the know. Bronx. I know. Well, I'm um, leaving on Monday, but I'll be back in New York. You're, soon. you're doing a nutty do event it. this weekend. Yeah, the seed. The seed. You're going to come down to the seed. I'm, belie- I'm flying to San Francisco oh, tonight and jumping from here to a plane. Otherwise, I would have been there. I just heard about it this weekend. They started tweeting it. Yeah, it should be. It's going to be a good event. I've done it but before. When it's you're cool. in New York the next time, come on up. We'll have the kids make you a locally grown South Bronx salad. I love it. Yeah. I'd love to go and meet the kids and talk to the kids, the kids too. Are, that's really, for me... That's what it's yeah, about. Yeah, when you validate them, mm-hmm. then you're validating me. Beautiful. Um, and they like to... They love meeting people. They get mm-hmm. very social. Yeah, yeah, cool. And it's cool, you know? It's cool that people actually want to meet them now. I mean, we had the White House chef there. He loves, and he loves it. He goes all over the world. The kids loves, went... Didn't you... You went to the White House, yeah, too, my, right? Yeah, my fourth graders <laughs> and I, we actually farmed our way to the White House, right into the White House kitchen. But the coolest thing is then we invited Bill to come, and we grew the food in school uh-huh. and grew it for him... He told us what to grow. We designed the recipe. We grew it indoors and invited some of the wealthiest private schools. We had international charter schools all come right to the middle of the housing projects Uh to eat food four stories up. Beautiful. Yeah, it was an amazing day. Yep, that's what it's about. All right, man. All right, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks kindly. Peace. Thank you. Blance. All right, we did it. That's our show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you thought of the episode in the comments section on the episode page at richroll.com. And keep sending your questions for future Q&A podcasts to info at richroll.com. I am looking for a decent web-based way of cataloging the questions now that Google Moderator is defunct. Uh, But until we figure that out, just keep sending uh, those emails to info at richroll.com. For all your plant power needs, visit richroll.com. We got nutrition products, books, education products, 100% organic cotton garments. We got tech tees for running. We got meditation programs. We have signed copies of the Plant Power Way and also Finding Ultra. And now we have sticker packs, awesome plant power stickers, peace and plant stickers, temporary tattoos, all kinds of cool stuff. And also limited edition art prints that are either framed or unframed, signed and numbered from my friend, the esteemed artist, Andrew Pascuela, who is a premier upcoming talent making waves in the art and food movement. Check that out all on my website. Basically everything you need to take your health and your life to the next level. If you're into online courses, I got two of those at Mind Body Green, the ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition, three and a half hours of streaming video content, uh, and also the art of living with purpose, which I think is about two and a half hours of streaming online content. It's all about setting goals and doing the inside work, getting your life on the right trajectory. It's really good stuff. I'm really proud of both of those courses. You can find them both at mindbodygreen.com. Just click on video courses. Uh, Thanks for supporting the show by telling a friend, sharing it on social media, for using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. I love you guys. I'll see you in a few days and uh, make it great, everybody. Have a good one. And uh, we'll talk more soon. All right? Cool. Peace. Plants. Yeah.